Well, good morning, Salt Church. Today, we finish the book of 1 Timothy. So 1 Timothy is where we're going to be. We've been in this book for a while, and I want to, um, to start with a story that tells you about how I watched a person ruin their life. Been in full-time ministry since I got out of college, uh, so 20, about 25 years, and I've seen a lot of people ruin their lives over the years. And sometimes it's really obvious. It might be, uh, you know, alcoholism or drug addiction. I mean, something that you sort of see from a distance, and, well, that's pretty clear what happened there. Some way more subtle and secretive. It takes a while for it to rise to the surface. It's, it's a porn addiction that they're never open and honest with, and it turns into something else, and there's affairs, and they never confess to their husband or wife and walk through some counseling and, are, and, and find forgiveness and move on. It's just stuff that kind of goes underneath the surface, and then there are stories like D.B. Antrim. D.B. is a pastor um, who I was on staff with, and we were in just efforts to plant a church. Actually, it's established a church that had just gotten planted in West Des Moines. And D.B. and Brandon and I, these three pastors, we met for the first time. I remember I was at a, a Starbucks coffee shop and just finally sitting together. And I'll never forget this phrase that, that D.B. used when he introduced himself. He said, hey, you know, just meeting us, he goes, I just want you guys to know, I give you all my trust. It's yours to lose. I thought, wow, it's really a, it's a great way of starting a relationship. I mean, you don't know people, it's hard to trust, but I'm going to start off by saying, I give you my trust. It's yours to lose. And, and on began a great friendship. Honestly, DB was um, a true friend and would come on over and serve, help me with something at my house or whatever. Wife, Allison, two little boys, um, and we just began doing ministry together. I remember uh, he served not just preaching on the weekends and stuff, but would also work with the youth. And my kids at that time were in his youth group. And one evening he spoke on John 13, which is Jesus washing the disciples' feet right before he's crucified. Just talked about the, the need to be a servant, you know, to others. And left that night. I didn't go. My kids heard his message or whatever. And the next day... Uh, D.B. was found dead in his car, having committed suicide in a very creative, thoughtful way that had been obviously very planned. And every person, I've never heard of one exception, was absolutely stunned and saw nothing coming. His wife had zero idea. The whole elder team, nothing no one had any idea there were any struggles going on on the surface. It was like the perfect deception. It took some months, and some things began to surface. Oh, you were dead broke. No one knew that you were in such financial hardship. Maybe you were mismanaging money. Uh, certainly, no one knew your house was about to get foreclosed. In fact, you had kept the charade up long enough to where like the bank was coming to his house like the next day to say, we're foreclosing on your house. Like, we can't put this off any longer. So his house of cards was just about to crumble and he was holding it up, keeping perfect appearances in every direction. Later it would come out, oh, multiple affairs and you never opened up and shared, this is, you've got secrets and we could help. And this absolute tragedy of a man who ruined his life and I'm telling you, I have Allison in my eyes and those two precious boys. A life ruined. 
not with one massive decision, a lot of small steps. Normally people don't fall off a cliff. They fall by making one small step down at a time. And I'm telling you, as we get to the end of 1 Timothy 6, I was purposeful in choosing a story that strong because Paul is going to help you to know this is for sure how you can ruin your life to the point where you could totally walk away from God, abandon him, be plunged into ruin and destruction. This is how you can ruin your life. But then, though people can ruin their lives, God is graciously going to show us a way that he desires to rescue our lives and even reward them. Make life worth living. That's how he closes 1 Timothy 6 in an effort to help us become the church that he desires us to be. So with that, let's jump in. 1 Timothy 6, I'm going to read the first few verses. This is verses 3 through 5. Verse 3 says, If anyone teaches false doctrine and does not agree with sound teaching of our Lord Jesus Christ and with the teaching that promotes godliness, he is conceited and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy interest in disputes and arguments over words. From these come envy, quarreling, slander, evil suspicions, and constant disagreement among people whose minds are depraved and deprived of the truth, who imagine that godliness is a way to material gain. Paul begins this section by saying, if anyone teaches false doctrine. Guys, if you're new here, we just go through the Bible like one verse at a time. So in earlier in 1 Timothy, we've been introduced to these false teachers. We've talked about them a lot, so I'm going to be brief on this. But there are people teaching false doctrine. We've already looked at them. Some of their lies is, I mean, clearly they don't agree with the teaching of Jesus Christ. So what they're saying is at variance with what Jesus has said, what the apostles have said. They have a sick interest in disputes and arguments over words. That typifies them. They're conceited. And I think that probably comes from like that sense of like a false teacher who'd be like, wait, I know something that none of you know. And so now I can kind of look down on people who don't have my special knowledge and so there's an arrogance that starts to typify them. And they seem to love rules, rules that are like saying no to God's good gifts. Earlier, I want to say maybe chapter four, I taught it, I should remember it. It was like, they're like, no, this kind of food and that kind of drink and no marriage, like good gifts that God gave. They're just like, you know what? It's just easier to say no. And so they were known for that sort of ascetic style of life. And just know this, that false teachers and their false teaching, they're not uh, innocent ideologies, Right? If they were, you, we might have a church culture that's just, ah, you do you. I mean, hey, it doesn't matter. Whatever we believe, whatever we believe. Actually, they're not innocent ideologies. Ideas have consequences. Ideas have consequences. And it certainly was true in the church that Timothy was one of the pastors of. Look at this in verse 4. Paul lists a few of those consequences. From these, from these false teachers and their false teaching, from these come envy, Quarreling, slander, evil suspicions, and constant disagreement among people whose minds are depraved and deprived of the truth. Look, here's one surefire way to ruin your life, and we're not even in the heart of the passage yet. Give in to false teaching. I mean, just subscribe to that. That's a way to ruin your life. And I don't mean that believers don't have legitimate concern over certain passages and the Guys, we should get together, learn together, grow together, find out what God's word says on areas that we're confused about. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about like people who are just peddling false ideas, who are trying to bring about this kind of brokenness in the body of Christ. That will ruin their life. Look, the, the big idea is going to begin to emerge. You, you, there are different ways we can ruin our lives, but God's going to try and rescue our life and reward it. These people, what motivates them? Did you catch it in verse 4? What motivates, what drives a false teacher? Verse 4 says, who imagine that godliness is a way to material gain. 
It's money. These false teachers are motivated by money. Godliness, and I'd put some quotes around that, like their version of godliness. They're not really godly, but they're acting like it. Their godliness, they're thinking that's the way for us to get rich. What's hard is some of these were probably elders, or at least possibly elders, from among Timothy's own church. Paul in Acts 20 warned that people would come up from among their own leaders to lead others astray. But they could have been people from the outside also, peddling false ideas, trying to get rich. And guys, I wonder if even outside the church, maybe the greatest example we have in culture of that is a health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. It runs rampant. It's one of the most evil exports of this nation, especially in countries like Africa. The poor who are looking for hope in Christ are being peddled a gospel that is not the true gospel. Oh, Jesus, oh, he'll save you. Well, not just from sin. He'll save you from poverty. He'll save you from any sickness. He'll save you from anything. I mean, he'll, he'll give you a good life, a good retirement, a good money. A good, he'll give you health. He'll give you wealth. He'll give you prosperity. And the grievous evil of it is that's not the gospel. Jesus invited people into suffering. Yes, he provides. There's a, a cross to bear in following Jesus. We'll see that next week as we jump back into Matthew. This false gospel, the heartbreaking thing of it is it's not the true gospel. And some people see their lives continue to fall apart and go, I am more against Jesus and Christianity because they've been offered a false Jesus even while their money makes fat the pockets of false teachers. It's heartbreaking. Paul's about to show us a better way. He's about to show us how some are rescued, even while others are ruined. Look at 1 Timothy 6.6. He's going to keep this progression going when he talks about how they're motivated by wealth. But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. If we have food and clothing, we will be content with these. But those who want to get rich fall into temptation, a trap, and many foolish and harmful desires, which plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, and by craving it, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Paul says, but, verse 6, but godliness with contentment is great gain. Look at that. Godliness, to pursue God-likeness, right? To be like Christ. Godliness plus contentment. Oh, that's great gain. Contentment. What is contentment? Man, we hear a lot of phrases. And guys, this is crazy because I'm born and raised in this country. We are the wealthiest nation that I know of in the history of the world. This is the air we breathe. This is the water we swim in. This is what we know. How many times do we find ourselves saying, you know what I want? And we're talking about more than what the passage said, food and clothing. You know what I want? You know what I need? Guess what will truly satisfy us? How much more money do you need to be content? Like, what's the price? Because a lot would just go, a little more. (laughs) Not a ton. But just a little more, I feel like 10% more. Yeah, I mean, my phone's okay. I, feel like I had a new one, I'm good. A better camera. I don't even know how to work the camera that well. Like, if I had that, well, then, then I'm good. Here's a few things I've learned. Contentment is not an amount you have. It's an attitude you choose. Think about that. Contentment, it's not an amount you have. 
It's an attitude you choose. Contentment is not having whatever you want. It's wanting whatever you have. You won't be happy when you have whatever you want. Actually, those who learn the secret of contentment go, I want what I already have. Contentment, it's like this. It's like if you could pile everything you own in front of you, like throw your bike in there and your phone and your books and your, like if you put your house in there and whatever you have, like that stuff, put a credit card statement, oh, oh, a little bit there, but then I have some of this in the banking savings account, some retirement, like put it all in front of you. Contentment's just like, I don't need anything else. I'm okay. My happiness isn't found outside of this. I'm good. Paul goes on, he just builds this argument. He says, we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. Think of it. I, I've got two, um, a couple in my connection group, Corey and Jessica, who their little daughters came into the world at 30 weeks in, right? So 10 weeks early, their baby twin girls were born. I mean, it's an amazing story, and God is like growing them up, and soon they can be going home from the hospital. It's exciting. We're excited about that. Amos, you know that Stephen, when Stephen gets here, all he's going to do is talk about his son. Like, so just get ready for all the pictures. I'm just telling you, if you're in Salt Company. Like, we brought nothing into the world, and that's it. With babies, you bring nothing into the world, except a bunch of medical bills for your parents. I mean, seriously, you know, but like, you brought nothing in. Here's what I don't think we realize. You're going to take nothing out of it. Like, there's no hearse pulling U-Haul trailers. You know, it's not like, oh, you know what, they're taking that. <laughs> no one's doing that. You can't take anything out of this life with you. My mom, when she went to be with the Lord a couple months ago, that season impressed some things deep on my heart. I didn't look ahead to teaching 1 Timothy 6. God began to mess with me in a beautiful way as it relates to how I think about stuff, possessions, money. My mom left a little bit of money in her checking and savings account. She left a small life insurance policy to like help cover like the cost of the very end of her life. But this was heartbreaking to find. My wife, um, sister-in-law, kids, like I was away at work and after her death, they began going through like her files and like my mom kept all these like file folders and like her paperwork and my brother was trying to accumulate all that stuff together and do the, the will thing and, and what they began to find was envelopes full of cash. There were thousands of dollars of cash that they found. And you know, at one level, they were kind of having fun with it. You would not believe it. Mom, grandma had money set aside for this. Grandma had money set aside for that. Grandma had, she had money. But I'm telling you, it was crushing to me to hear. And you'd say, why? Aren't you one of the ones, like, divide by three brothers, aren't you going to end up getting that cash? It was one of the saddest things. Because I was always encouraging my mom, my mom, you should just give, give freely. You can't take it with you, but you can send it ahead. Like, oh, God rewards generosity. Mom, become a giver. Become. And it always seemed like you had no money. It's like, I'm not trying to. It's mom. And here she was thinking, oh, what, what if something with this with the car breaks? And I'm thinking, I'm your mechanic. I can fix that. You know I've got you. 
but just this and then a little bit here and then a little bit there. Some of it was like for a graduation of a kid who was yet to come. So I was like, oh, that's a, what a beautiful thing. I think a lot of it was just fear. But what about, about this? I'll put some money in that. And finding that, I was, I was so sad that she didn't have the joy of giving. She didn't have the joy of going out at zero, of giving away, blessing, and having that joy herself. You can't take it with you. We brought nothing in the world. We can take nothing out of it. Paul is not trying to ruin lives. He's trying to rescue them in this moment. He goes, you want to know how to ruin your life? Sometimes people talk about it. I hold on to the promises of God. I mean, I've got some memory verses. These are God's promises. I'll give you a promise. Here's some promises. You want to love money? Here's what's going to happen. You're going to fall into a trap. Your motive, you're motivated by foolish and harmful desires. The Bible says you're going to plunge your life into ruin and destruction. You're going to experience many griefs, and some will wander away from God altogether. That's a promise. No one says that. What you have says is come here, get the big job, get the big money, have it, and be happy. And I'm telling you, it's not hard to meet people with a lot of money. And they'd be so sad. I talked to a rich man last service. Not that he was necessarily wealthy, but his daughter comes here, goes to Salt Company. She is flourishing in her faith. He talks like the richest man there ever was. And I'm like, me too. Isn't it awesome? He goes, I trade millions for that. Just gets it. He gets it. Few people get it. People plunge themselves into ruin. My son, when he was small, I was reading books to my kids when they were really little. Jenny says he was probably about four or five at the time when I was reading Pilgrim's Progress. It's a, actually, it was called Dangerous Journey, a children's version of Pilgrim's Progress, a timeless classic. But this one's very illustrative. And in this one illustration, Christian and Hopeful, they're on their way to the celestial city. It's a picture of people like journeying on their way towards heaven. But the pathway is hard. It's hard being a Christian. There's a lot of things that are going to try and pull us off the path. Well, one of the scenes is of a guy named Demas, and actually he's a biblical character, 2 Timothy, you can read about him, who loved this world, probably loved money. And Demas is off to the side, and he's trying to get Christian to come off the path and come to his mind that, you know, you can have lots of treasure in. But little did he know, and this picture was very graphic, maybe a little scary, where you could go into his, into his mind, and then you would plummet and plunge into darkness, like there was no getting out of it. This picture of how money will ruin your life. And that picture was cemented in my kids' minds, you know, kind of a scary picture. And then I was driving across the country, and we were going back to the state of Nevada where parents live and at, at that time. And then, uh, so I go into a casino, because in the, this casino, there was a Starbucks, and I wanted coffee. And I've been around a lot of casinos. It's not a big deal. But like, I'm bringing, and Josiah was coming with me, so I'm on my way to coffee. Well, he had never walked into a casino before. So imagine this four or five-year-old boy. He steps into a casino, and... Ching, 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 ching. It's so loud. Money is hitting the metal pans. They've designed them just perfectly. They're so loud. People are all around. Lights are flashing. It's never dark, never night, day and night. It goes on and on. There's never a time off where people aren't sitting there. Tons of people, especially older people. All you got to do is pull handles. You pull handles. It dumps money. Imagine a five-year-old sensories experience exploding as he sees flashing lights and he hears tons of money. And my son looks at me, turns to me, and he goes, Dad. I wrote this down. He says, Dad, 
can we sell our house, move here, and live here forever? I probably would have said the exact same thing. And I leaned down towards him, like any good dad, and I said, this is where Demas lives. <laughs> now, you may disagree with my parenting style, and that's fine. I actually disagree with a bunch of things I did. But you know what? He immediately knew. Just for a moment, maybe. He saw a bunch of old people who had more time and more money and more wisdom to give away to those coming behind them, wasting their life, looking to machines to make money, totally disconnected from family and real life, strapped to this like it was a drug. Maybe for a moment, the bubble burst. Paul says, food and clothing we will be content with these. And I say to Paul, are you kidding me? Who talks like that? If I, seriously, if I was going to ask you, hey, did you eat today? Yep. Are you naked? Nope. Are you content? Do you have all your needs met? Are you okay? Well, I mean, of course I want. What is it? What do we need beyond food and clothing? That's what Paul's saying. This is really simple. You're rich if you have more than food and clothing. What do we need to be satisfied? For, for, the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Get this. Money is not the evil in and of itself. Did you catch that? There are plenty of people who have money and are very generous with it, and plenty of people who don't, who are greedy people. Money is amoral. It's like fire. It can cook your dinner, but it can burn your house down. <laughs> it could be good. It could be really bad. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. That's what's dangerous. Abraham, Job, God had given them plenty of money, and they were generous. I hope God does prosper people who are generous. They're great ones to entrust funds to. It's the love of money that's the root of all kinds of evil. And God says through Paul to Timothy, but you, man of God, look at this, verse 11, look at the strength of this challenge, but you, man of God, flee from these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of eternal life to which you are called and about which you have made a good confession in the presence of many witnesses. First, he calls him a name, but you, man of God, but you, in contrast to those false teachers motivated by money, but you, Timothy, and then he calls him this, man of God. That's a phrase used in the Old Testament of like prophets of God, people who stood for God when it was so hard. It's never used in the New Testament except one time right here. Can you imagine how empowering this was? For Timothy to hear from his spiritual mentor, spiritual father, saying, but you, man of God. Me? Man of God? You, man of God. And then these strong words. You flee from this godlessness. The devil's going to try to ruin your life. False teaching, loving money. This is a ruined life. 
flee from that and pursue. Guys, this is active. This isn't, I, I walked a, an aisle when I was a kid one day and I'm just holding out for heaven. No, flee, run. Christianity is active. Christianity, the church is not some health club where you, come on in, we'll rub your shoulders. God is getting him ready for war. This is boot camp. You, you flee, you pursue. And what kind of things? Oh, man of God, flee from those things, flee from lies, flee from materialism, and pursue righteousness. You might go, uh, didn't I get that? <laughs> Isn't that a gift from God that you get when you put your faith in Jesus? Why would I pursue a gift that I already have? It's a good question. Well, righteousness is a gift. Look at Romans 5.1. Positional righteousness is a gift. Therefore... Since we have been declared righteous by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Talk about Jorge, the student who gave his life to Jesus just last week. The moment he put his trust in Jesus, he was declared righteous by God. You have a right standing, holy in God's sight, just like Jesus, positional righteousness given to you. And then live a righteous life. Positional righteousness is the gift Practical righteousness is what God wants us to live out. Namely, in our words and in our actions, we honor Jesus. That's what he's saying. That's the stuff you need to pursue in your words. Let me just challenge you with this. Words. We are to run from slander, from dishonesty, from gossip. You run from that, you pursue truth. You say the same things to people that you say about them. You have integrity in your words. We are to run from Laziness in our work, homework, I don't care where you work, your stuff that you do, run from that and pursue hard work like you're doing it for the Lord. We are to run from a life of immorality where who cares, we're just clicking a button, we're just surfing, we're just, I'm just looking, not touching. We're to run from immorality and we're to pursue purity, treating a man or a woman who we're not married with like a brother or a sister because that's what God calls them in Christ while the eyes of the Father are on our lives. Pursue it, Timothy. You just entered into a fight. Run from these things. Pursue righteousness. Pursue faith. There's a lot of them. Pursue godliness. Look, righteousness, John MacArthur said it this way, while righteousness looks to outward behavior, godliness has to do with attitudes and motives. This is where I think it's the hardest. Now we're not talking about what you do. We're talking about why you do it. Oh, yeah. Just reading the Bible, loving Jesus. In fact, took a picture of my Bible with a cup of coffee right by it, posted it this morning. Why? <laughs> you want us to get the slow clap going? We got to like that? Like, why are you telling me that? To encourage me? Maybe. How long did you spend with filters getting that picture just right? Why are we doing what we're doing? Oh, that's a real cool story about giving. Is there a reason you told me that? Because this is where I'm like, oh, my word. My heart is so riddled. The heart is more deceptive than all. It's desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, I can't. The motives. Oh, God, help us to pursue not only right actions, but right hearts. Godliness. It's something to pursue. It's hard work. I wish I could spend more time here. We've got to keep moving. Look at this one on love. Love. Pursue love. I think every husband in this room, Eric Drummond, I think you and every married man in this room would say that. I would die for my wife. Here's a problem. Missy might just be asking, but would you do dishes? <laughs> you know? 
Like, I'm uh, sorry, Mary. That's what I'm asking, you know. Uh, I said, uh, he's only married to one wife, and that, her name's her. Guys, I think, I think a lot of husbands would go, oh, yeah. And our wives are just going, if you'd help out around the house. I honestly think sometimes we've just equated love with this emotion. Oh, are you feeling it? Have you fallen into it? Have you fallen out of it? You know, like it's this uh, mystical emotion. I'm telling you, love is a verb. It is decisions. Your roommates might not want to know that you rescue them out of a burning building. They would just love for you to pick your junk up. Love them. Show it. Paul is telling Timothy, you show your love. Endurance. That's steadfastness under adversity. Gentleness. This one's challenging me. Pursue gentleness. That is, don't be violent in your words. The context isn't like, oh, man, you're just a violent person. No, it's actually in the midst of false teachers who disagree with you. You need to pursue a gentleness in your words towards them. How do you do against people who disagree with you? How are you? This is awfully convicting, honestly. And I would think that with false teachers around, man, if one person gets a pass to go charging in, you know, fighting, swinging, at least yelling at them with their words, it's Timothy. They're false teachers. Go get them. Here's what Paul says to Timothy. Look at this, 2 Timothy 2, 24. Here's how to deal with those false teachers. Timothy, the Lord's slave, that's you, must not quarrel, but must be gentle to everyone, able to teach, and patient, instructing his opponents with gentleness. Perhaps God will grant them repentance, leading them to the knowledge of the truth. Then they may come to their senses and escape the devil's trap, having been captured by him to do his will. Timothy, go in there and be more gentle. Go in there and be a man under control. That's true strength. That's character, to have strength under control, to use gentle words. This is where my wife says I fail a lot, honestly. Jenny says, you used to be like a lot better than you are right now. She used some different words, but it was like that. She says, you used to be so teachable. And she goes, this is how, this is how you do it now. Sometimes I'm just like talking, and this is your phrase, Paul, it's your new phrase. No, 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 you're wrong. And then I follow it up with, clearly, a life-giving correction, you know, that she needs in the moment. No, 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 you're wrong. And I think, oh, you know what? In my grand goal in life to be efficient with time, what I'm doing is I'm actually seeing a direction she's heading. Let's not even waste our time there. And let's not even waste the escalating emotions that seem to be building in your heart based on this false premise. Let me just cut that off. I'll just, just cut it off right there and go, no, 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 you're wrong. And then... But just never comes across like I'm a hero. She's saying that, no, that's not gentle. That's not loving. You, you just let me talk and then ask questions or whatever nonsense, you know, like, you know, no. And I'm like, God, help me to grow in gentleness. Man, Paul says, fight the good fight for the faith. This is language that's strong. Fight, agonizome is the Greek word. You can hear agonize, I believe, in that. It's a, a language of Athletic competition, it's a language of war. Fight the good fight for the faith. Again, God's not welcoming Timothy to like a dance recital. He's preparing him for war. Like, fight the good fight of faith. And then he goes, you've made a good confession about, uh, a good confession about in the presence of many witnesses. He, he's saying, you started well. You made a good confession about your faith. This is probably a reference to Timothy's baptism. Timothy would have professed his faith and likely gotten baptized, which is a great start. Paul's commending him. Likely, 
in a very public place because they got baptized in rivers outside. Everyone could see, not just the Christians. This wasn't like, oh, we got a little tank inside of a church building. No, this is for the world to see. This is your coming out like here, this is who I am. So Paul's saying, you did it. You went public for your faith like some will do this coming sun next Sunday. He's going, great job, man. You made a great confession about your faith, probably through baptism. Now he's saying, keep going, keep fleeing, keep fighting. There is a battle at hand. And with these strong words, he continues, in the presence of God, who gives life to all and of Christ Jesus, who gave a good confession before Pontius Pilate, I charge you to keep this command without fault or failure until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. God will bring this about in his own time. He's the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal power, amen. Like Paul goes on a rant. He's like, man, it's like he just got preaching and it was like, I'm telling you, in the sight of God and of Christ Jesus and all the angels and everything that's holy. I mean, it's like he's reaching for everything here. And he says, I charge you, keep this command. Guys, Timothy's just a guy. He's probably a young pastor. He's around people older than him. People older than him disagree with how he thinks. He's got to courageously lead God's people. But Paul, don't you see what Paul's doing? He's grabbing him. Like, I think Mark Whittemore probably grabs a football player. Great tackle. You know, just getting picked up. You man of God, go get him. You know, get back in the game. We're all watching. We're behind you. Go, go, go. This is Paul giving strength to this young man. This is God giving strength to us. Carry on in the fight. Look to Jesus. He went through a similar thing. He made a good confession too. In the sight of Pontius Pilate, look at that. He could have chickened out, skipped the crucifixion, skipped the whipping. No, he went right through it. God rewarded him. You do the same until Jesus returns. Go, go, go. Not in your own strength, the spirit of God. Not aimlessly according to the word of God. Go, Timothy. He's trying to rescue his life from this ruin. He's trying to lead him down a path of reward. And before he ends it, these closing words that I have found hard at times to share as a pastor, even though they were first given to this young pastor, Timothy. Paul says to him, instruct those who are rich. Okay, get this. Paul is telling Timothy, hey, you're a pastor. This is what you say to your people. So this, is what I, this is what I'm saying to you as, as one of your pastors. Instruct those who are rich. If you got food and clothing, you're rich. In the present age, not to be arrogant or to set their hope on the uncertainty of wealth, but on God, who richly provides us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do what is good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and willing to share, storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the coming age, so they may take hold of what is truly life. Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to you, avoiding irreverent and empty speech and contradictions from what is falsely called knowledge. By professing it, some people have departed from the faith. Grace be with you all. Paul says to Timothy, and hear this coming to you and know that it is coming to me, even as I bring the challenge. Instruct us, you who are rich, you got food in your stomach, and if you have one pair of clothing that you got on, rich, the wealthiest nation that, according to my understanding of history, and I've read a lot of church history books, we're the wealthiest of all time. 
God is saying, instruct them. Command those who are rich in this present world, not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. God's not a killjoy. God's not trying to ruin your life. God's not trying to take from it. He's great with things to enjoy. Look, he didn't drop Adam and Eve into a black and white garden full of tofu. He didn't. That's not what I see. And if you like tofu, then you probably like cats also. And I don't know what hope there is. Sorry, that's... I'm off the script here. <laughs> Genesis, you look at the book of Genesis, and God brings his humanity into a beautiful world with everything to be enjoyed. And that is the graciousness of God. He's saying, command those who are rich not to love money, but to put their hope in God. He richly gives us things for our enjoyment. How awesome of a God is that? But he keeps going. Instruct them to do what is good, to be rich in good works and be generous and willing to share. I love seeing greater expressions of generosity in God's people and creative expressions. Rich in good works, Alan Hahn got a hold of the Gainesville School District last week, and he was talking to Kelly Cassano, I think is her name, who heads up just like how to bless the schools. He says, what are your needs? And it was like learning so that we as a church can be mobilized. Guys, we want to be a church that blesses the city, right? We don't want to just be internally focused like, oh, I hope I feel community. Like, yes, we want that, but we also want to look outward and be a blessing because that's a mark of maturity also. And so he's just calling and going, what can we do? How can we help? And Kelly says this story. She goes, well... Well, I'd never seen this, and now I've become aware of it. There's a boy who came to school, and he came late. You know, why is he late? Well, look down. And he didn't, the shoes he's wearing don't even fit his feet. But why is he wearing those? Here's the story. His dad wasn't home yet. Dad must work on night shift. He didn't have any shoes. He waits till his dad gets home from his job so he can wear his dad's shoes so he didn't have to go to church, or he didn't have to go to school without shoes on his feet. He just didn't have a pair of shoes. That's why he was coming late. Had to wait for dad's shoes. And I thought, are you kidding me? And so Kelly was made aware, there's actually a lot of kids who don't have shoes. And Alan's like, so here's my Venmo. Let's change that. Guys, I couldn't Venmo fast enough. It's like, let's go. Let's put shoes on some kids' feet. Are you kidding me? I have multiple pairs of shoes in my closet. Don't you? I mean, come on, rich in good deeds, this isn't one specific thing. Let's just be like that. Let's just be givers, and let's have the joy. Joy, that's true life. Again, God sees people ruining their lives, loving money. He's trying to rescue us and get us to a place where we can be rewarded. Guys, take steps forward. Are you actively, let me ask this, are you actively growing in expressions of generosity? Or are you like, no, I'm just a consumer. I just sit in chairs and listen. That's my Christianity. Are you, act, are you getting in the game? I know this. As I have read the Bible, the main thing that God is doing in the New Testament since the time of Jesus, he's building his church. His churches are planting churches, and they're bringing the gospel to this nation and to all nations. That's the place to start. If you're like, I don't even know where to start with money. Look, if you have enough money for, you know, Shang-Chi, James Bond, coffees, and I don't know what, you know, like pizza, then you have enough to give. We all have enough to give. We can be a part of it. If you haven't started, give, like become a percentage giver to your local church. If it's this church, this church. If it's a different church, that church. That is participating in the work of the kingdom. I know college students, they get a paycheck and they go, okay, 
I'm a percentage giver. I just do X percentage. If you don't know where to start, like the smallest number I know in the Bible is 10%. They did that in the Old Testament when they were really poor. We're in America. I bet we could at least do that. Like start there. Start, start, and know you'll experience God. There's joy in that. Put some shoes on kids' feet. Like we can grow. We can take steps forward. And Paul says, in doing that, you store up treasure for yourselves as a firm foundation for the coming age. You see, there's a way to ruin your life. God promises this is how to do it. And there is a way to be rescued and to be rewarded by God. I left the hospital two months ago. And it was just my brother and I in the room at the very end. And my mom's corpse just lay in the bed because she was gone entered heaven that night. And uh, we sat there holding a cold hand, talking, two brothers, and just, just moved by what was happening. And I didn't leave the hospital with my mom that night, but I actually left with these two bags. That's all that she had left. In fact, she went to four different rooms that last week and different ICU units and all that kind of stuff. But everywhere she went, they drug these bags around with her. It was her stuff. It's some clothes that actually got ruined on her way to the hospital, so those got thrown away. It's a Bible and a journal. Journal is the most priceless thing that she left behind that shows us her walk with God. It is beautiful and precious and moving. And an iPhone. I think my brother sold it or something or he's trying to on Facebook Marketplace. That's it. Let me show you your future. Two bags. She couldn't take those with her. I brought those home. Some things I threw away, something we sold on Facebook Marketplace. It's gone. That's it. We can't take anything with us. Look at your retirement. Look at your dollars. Look at promised salaries. Start giving it now. You can't take it with you, but here's what's beautiful. You can send it ahead and experience the reward and the joy. I was in tears thinking about those envelopes. I'm trying to go out at zero. How do we just send it to bless other people and to be rewarded in heaven? Jesus Christ shows us the best way. When God, who was rich in heaven, Jesus Christ, rich in heaven, became poor in coming for us, he did it so that we in our poverty might become rich. You can't go lower than Jesus Christ, God, coming from heaven to be born like a man to a maggot, to go from the glory of heaven to a baby in a feeding trough. You cannot descend further. But why did the rich become poor? Oh, to make us who are so spiritually poor, so rich. Let's just follow Jesus and let's become the church that God intended. Let me pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the book of 1 Timothy. Thank you for the rescue mission of the gospel. And then thank you that you care enough to rescue us, even from our culture that's got money flying around, but it's promising things that it can't deliver on. Jesus, I pray for Salt Church, rescue us from ourselves. Rescue us from lies. Rescue us, God, from a path that plunges people into ruin and destruction. Help people know that no one's trying to pull money out of their pockets. Like, 
you know, we, we get a tip or something here at the church. God, help us to put our money towards things that will outlast us. God, we all want to live for what will outlast us. Give us a vision of a better way. Rescue us, God, from this ruin and help us to see a life of reward in the gospel. We pray in your name. Amen.